Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at Shepherd of the Valley, and I want to welcome you if you're here with us in person worshiping, or if you're live online with us, or even if you're worshiping at a later time with us online. Welcome. We're in this series called Life as Jesus Meant It to Be, and we're spending the next four weeks on Sabbath. And we're exploring Sabbath as a gift from God to us, um, rather than something we have to do, something we get to do, this concept of Sabbath and rest. And last week, if you were with us, you, we gave you a mission to try a Sabbath, to try a 24-hour period of rest. Um, and whether you had an amazing time or it was terrible and you failed miserably, welcome. I'm so excited that we get to keep talking about this topic. And the good thing is we just like keep going one day at a time. I was trying to think of like a modern example of like what that video represented. Like, you know, Peter is kind of eating this, harvesting in the field, just eating the thing. And I thought maybe a modern day example would be like bringing your coffee into church. So here I am with my coffee in church, ready to go. In fact, my cousin, uh, John, who, who is visiting us today, texted me yesterday. He's like, is your church coffee friendly? And like... <laughs> We're not only coffee friendly, we're like, we're coffee lovers here at the church. So we've been talking about this uh, idea of Sabbath, this rhythm, and last week I had quoted John Mark Comer, who we're using a lot of his resources for this series, and he said that there is a chronic level of exhaustion in our culture. Uh, anyone with me on that? Do you feel it? Like that we're kind of running around. And if you imagine like on your phone, you have an energy bar. And when it's at 100%, you're ready to go. And, you know, when it's at like 20%, it, it gives you that going into power saving mode. And I think a lot of our life and our culture is going into power saving mode. I feel like my son's phone is always on power saving mode. And I can never get a hold of him when I need to. Um, but we run at this pace that is exhausting. And so it, God invites us to stop. We are all driven. So last, last week we were talking about like the pace that we're driven and this idea of stopping. And now this week I want us to take a step back from that and say, okay, what is it that motivates us? What is it that drives us? And actually we are all driven by desire, by God-given desires, actually, we're designed to have motivation, to keep going, to, to get up in the morning. You get up in the morning. How many here are morning people? Did you answer that one? Okay, how, this morning. How many are evening people? Now, here's a true test of you evening people. In the morning, when your alarm goes off, how many times do you press snooze? Like, just show me by show of hands. Like, you know, like, I get a three, I get a one, I get a five. That's impressive. Five. Johnny Robinson, that's impressive, buddy. Five times. But it, what it goes to show us is that we are, like, in this overpaced culture and society. But our desires, our motivations, are actually something that's important. That we might get up in the morning in order to get to work after five times hitting snooze, but we go to work to, to achieve, to, to actually get money for our family, to care for our family. The desire behind it is that. That we are all given these desires, and the ultimate desire that every human has 
is to be connected with our loving creator, God. Whether we agree with that or not, my belief is that that is at the core of the woven-in DNA of every human. We are designed to desire relationship with God and relationship with each other. And our world has mistaken those desires, and we have mistaken those desires for other things. So we have placed our desires in other things. We can never get enough promotions to fully be satisfied. We can never, when they ask Rockefeller how much money he needed, crazy wealthy, how much money would be enough, he said, just a little bit more. That actually anything else that we try to place our desires on will never be enough. And what happens to our God-given design, our desire, when we try to plug something else into that space in our life, in our design, is that they get twisted and bent towards the wrong things. And herein lies the problem that we experience in our world. And this is not a new problem, though I think our culture, Western culture, has perfected the desires being twisted. Um, It comes from a much older thing. It goes all the way back to the garden, but the biblical authors kind of hint to it in different places. Um, In Ecclesiastes, the, the author says this, the eye is never satisfied. It goes on, he says, the ear is never filled. That's something that, that keeps us going. Then you have the, the philosophers and theologians of ages past. Augustine of Hippo, or Augustine, depends on how you said it, said this. He said, um, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But there's only one thing that can fill our heart's desire, and that's God. And then if you need a modern philosopher, a modern philosopher said this, I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) And I was thinking about this cultural drive that we have and the ways that our desires get, get twisted. And even things that seem like a good thing hint at the problem, not necessarily the solution. So this morning, as I was driving in, I come from the Hudson side, so I'm driving across, getting, going to the bridge, and I literally had to get off the, the exit, go back, pull over, and take a picture of something that demonstrated this point perfectly. If you work for River Falls or their marketing department, I'm so sorry, but I, this is just the perfect example. Ready to go. Here's a picture. Know that you are limitless. Here's the thing, guys. That's not true. We have limits. And I get what we're going after. We're going after the good thing of hard work and opportunity and things like that. But you and I were designed with limits on purpose. And when we push past those limits, things break. Anyone ever drive a car too hard or forget to change the oil? I had my first car was a Volkswagen Beetle, a 1960 Volkswagen Beetle. I learned a lot about pushing things past their limits. I spent more of my time with that car on the side of the road trying to figure out what I did to break it. And our soul is kind of the same thing. That our check engine light goes on. And that we got to figure out what's going on. And our culture pushes us and pushes us and pushes us. 
But God gave us a gift. And like anything, we have shifted it and talked about it in the wrong senses. We've added rules around it and confused it. And that gift is called the Sabbath. And it's designed for us to be connected with each other and connected primarily with God. That our desires might rightly align with the way God made us. That we live in a culture that actually has chronically unsatisfied desires. You know, in the 1940s to the 1950s, our culture made a huge shift. And there's a quote from a guy named Paul Muzzer, who was with Lehman Brothers, and they were trying to figure out a problem. They made all these factories, and they had to shift all these factories to do something so that the economy didn't crash post-World War II. And he said this, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. They did it. Success. This is what John Mark Comer says of the Sabbath about how we respond. Sabbath is a practice from the way of Jesus. Way means like practice. By which we war against the restlessness of our age and instead take on the easy yoke of Jesus, our rabbi, which means teacher, and find rest for our souls. The word Sabbath can be translated four ways. One, stop, which we talked about last week. Rest, which we talk about this week. Delight and worship. They're actually movements if we think about a Sabbath day, a day of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. It comes from the passage in Genesis where God actually practices Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to stop. And it's its first meaning. In Genesis 2, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested. Shabbat, he stopped from all his work. Then God blessed the, the seventh day and made it holy. Holy just means set apart. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. You see, we are designed to work from a place of being rested, like we talked about last week. And God modeled for us and demonstrated what Sabbath really does. And if we take John Mark Comer seriously, it's how we fight back against the pull of our Western culture. Sabbath is rest not just from work, but from even thinking about work. Now, guys, I've been trying this for weeks. I'm failing. It's hard. Amen? Amen. Amen. Everything wants to pull at us. Like my phone, I had to literally put my phone in the other room last week on, on Friday because it just kept binging at me. You know, I, like if you're smarter than me technologically, I'm sure you can find out the automatic response, but it would take me a whole Sabbath day just to set up the automatic response on my phone. That we know that the chemicals in our brain from neuroscience that actually when we start thinking about work, it's the same, the stress chemicals that are released are the same as if we're there. That it's hard on our body. And I've, I've been thinking, last week I talked, about, I talked about being hangry, 
Like when I'm hangry, I don't love like Jesus necessarily. And like sometimes my wife calls me and is like, have you eaten lunch today? And I wonder if like we might ask each other, have you Sabbath this week? Because when we're exhausted, when we have low level chronic exhaustion, it's hard to love God and love others. And the design, the whole design of God's blessing of Abraham, of God's being with the people, of God calling the church is so that the whole world would see what our relationship with God looks like, what grace looks like out in the world, and they would want that for themselves and then have relationship with God also. Now, when you meet me, when I'm chronically exhausted, you're, you're not going to say, oh, I want what that guy's got. You're going to be like, what a jerk. And the, herein lies the problem. See, God's heart for us, his plan for our life, is that we would live out of the easy rhythms of his yoke. And he wants to use that to, be, to put on display for the whole world what it looks like to follow him, to have relationship, to have our desires rebent back to God rather than to everything else. And the good news about this is that this is a work that God does in us and through us. And it's not something we have to figure out for ourselves. It's just to get quiet enough that we can hear what God is already doing in and among our hearts. Last week, I did some teaching out of the Ten Commandments. So much later, after Genesis, Sabbath becomes, in our numbering, the third commandment. Bonus, did you know the Ten Commandments appear twice in the Bible? Once in Exodus chapter 20, which we talked about last week, and then again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is really important because they happen at two times in Israel's history that are really important. The first time in Exodus 20, they've come out of Egypt. The God has rescued them. They were slaves under a slave master, Pharaoh, and Egypt, this kingdom that was oppressive. And so when God tells them that they have to rest as a command, it's a gift to them. And he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's how he introduces that thought. Now, years later, 40 plus years later, the people are finally going to get to go into the promised land. They're going to become a kingdom of their own. And now God phrases this command in a different way. There are two differences. And I want to explore Deuteronomy's version today as we talk about the importance of rest. It says this, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, those of you who are like on it, the, already the first word is different. The first word was remember in Exodus, remember. And the second word is observe. And you're like, Jeremy, those two are synonyms. You're dumb. This is not important. Hold on. We'll get to it. It is really significant. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, a stopping to the Lord your God, toward God. So the posture is to God. On it, you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey. I'm sure the ox and donkey were like, thank you. <laughs> Sweet, you know. Um, your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, 
nor any foreigner residing in your towns, going back to that whole purpose thing, that God would do something in these people and invite other people in. The idea is to put on display what grace looks like so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. So far, same as Exodus, except for that one word. But now here's where it gets different. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. You see, he uses a different rationale. The first rationale, the first reason is God designed you to work for rest and God rested or stopped, so you should stop. But this next rationale is to a whole different generation, a group of people that grew up in very different contexts. The two words at the beginning tip us off. One is um, uh, zakar, uh, which is to remember. Um, and this idea of remembering is like um, in the Bible when it says God remembered Noah and then the waters subsided from the flood. Or God remembered Joseph and then brought rescue to Joseph. To remember is to act on behalf of another. That in the Exodus story, God invites them to remember the Sabbath because God remembered them. And now he is inviting them to act on benefit of their relationship with God and act on benefit of their relationship with the other. The second word is shamar, which means to observe. It also means to guard, to guard. Here's why this is important. Here's why these two differences, the rationale and these words are really important. Is because the first group of people needed to be reminded that as they were slaves, God wanted to rescue them. That he's inviting them to remember that they were slaves and now God is their freedom and rescue. But now he's inviting them to rest in this new context because they're about to be in control. And what he doesn't want for them is to become the kind of slave masters that Egypt was. You see, that whole purpose of putting on display his grace of showing us. The Sabbath is for us, but is also for the world. That in our stopping and remembering, in God realigning us to his purposes, he can take our restless hearts and settle them so that the world can see what grace looks like and we don't become like the Pharisees in that video. See, the Pharisees in the video missed it. They had surrounded the Sabbath with so many rules and regulations that they missed God's heart. Did you notice like Peter, when he's like getting the grain and throwing it in his mouth, he's having a great time, isn't he? And then he realizes, just like that little guy, he realizes like, man, things are wrong right now. I'm in trouble. And Jesus looks at him and he says, what does he say? He says, you may. Like, relax. Because they were having relationship. And now that rule was about to get in the way of relationship. If we think about it this way, Exodus was about establishing a rhythm for God's people so that they could pull out of being oppressed. And then Deuteronomy, the, the same command, the same invitation, 
becomes for them about not becoming, it's resistance to becoming that oppressive voice ourselves. Anyone else in the room sometimes feel the nudge to be an oppressive voice? Maybe you wouldn't say it that harshly. Like anyone get judgy? I get judgy. Like I judge people's driving all the time. And I'm the worst driver ever. If I cut you off on the freeway, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, I promise. I'm the Toyota Tacoma with the, with the Yam House sticker on one side and the For the Valley sticker on the other. I just apologize in advance. But our nature is to become the, the oppressive kingdom. And we feel it coming in small ways. What resting does is it pulls us out of that cycle. And the problem with even rest is we've forgotten how to actually rest. We mistake entertainment for rest, right? Like Sabbath does not, like if we binge watch Netflix, do you really feel rested the next day? I don't. Like I feel like maybe my power meter has gone from like 20% to 60%, but I don't experience the full 100%. And do you know what I think is in the gap between that 100% of actual rest and the 70% that we think we get in rest? It's the full life, the life in the fullest that Jesus promises. It's that we miss out on what Jesus is offering us. And so again, it's about allowing God to eliminate the distractions in our life, to set aside time where we can just be. We live in an oppressive kingdom. We live in a version of Egypt. Every kingdom becomes that. It looks like this. Did you know that Americans work more now than ever before? Um, There is this phrase in Japanese, kiroshi, it means death by work. Does that sound fun? No, it sounds awful. And did you know our culture We actually work 137 hours more per year than the Japanese culture in our work life. We work 260 hours more per year than the British culture. And God bless the French. (laughs) We work 499 hours more than the French culture. Now, I want to be clear that um, hard work is a good thing. Uh, to, to accomplish things and to accumulate, like uh, leave a legacy for family. Those can be good things. The problem is the order of operations. That when we put that first, it is a misplaced desire because it is not rooted in God first. Like a really small example, when my son Gabe was a kid, I walk in his room and, you know, he's reading his like Jesus storybook Bible or something like that. And he like gets real bold. Like he's like four, maybe five. He like gets real bold and he's like, dad, I love God more than you. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, now wait, did you mean that, that you love God more than I love God? Cause that's pretty bold. Or you love God more than you love me. Like, he's like, no, I love God more than I love you. <laughs> and you know, you know those parent moments where you're like, you, you kind of want to be serious, but you, you can't because you're laughing? That was that moment for me. But what I realized is like, oh, right. What he's doing is it, he's misunderstanding the purpose. I said, oh, hey, buddy, 
How about this? You love God first. Like your first love is God. And me and mom and your baby sister were the second love. And that's a good thing. Because what loving God first does is it multiplies our capacity to love others. It's about order of operations. Did you know that in America, we have more than ever before? Now, this is in comparison to our ancestors, 1945. So our ancestors in 1945, they sp- we spend two to three times more on goods and services than our ancestors, even when you adjust for values and inflation. Did you know that our homes are on average three times larger than they were in 19... 19- now, here in the Midwest, I now understand why that is. After living here for five years, it, it gets cold outside. So you, like when you're limited in space, like I have a basement now, you have to clean that thing. <laughs> like in our culture, our own homes on average have 300,000 items in them. If it was my dad, it was like 600,000. He was born in 1928. He saved everything. And here's the one that really gets me. There are 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space in the United States. Can you believe that? You see, we work harder than ever before in any other culture. We play harder than ever before. We have more and we're unhappier than ever before. Have we noticed the trend? I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) You're all like, yes, I'm with you. Now get to the point. So here it is. Sabbath, rest, is actually a subversive act to that culture. Like John Mark Cover said, it's the way we make war against what pulls at us. It's the way God cuts off all those poles to shift our desires to other things. And we do it in a couple of ways. So we let it break our addiction to accomplishment and accumulation. That when I say no to the next email or the next appointment that creeps into my Sabbath time, when I say no to the next phone call or the next whatever it might be, that I'm saying, yes, God, I have limits and the world is gonna keep going without me. But we are going to experience two things to that subversive invitation. One, we are going to experience external resistance. Culture will resist you. You know, like um, recently I looked up, like I I just, I was curious because, you know, my son has this old pickup truck that grandpa gave him. I was like, you know, is there out there maybe a four-wheel drive vehicle that is old that I could get for $5,000 or less or something like that? Guess what comes up on my news feed, my social media feed, every feed? My phone is listening to me. And it's not a conspiracy. It is the external, it's real, the external resistance of culture to get, 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 buy, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. It comes at us in every single like, possible way. And then more importantly, we're going to experience internal resistance. 
like our own internal restlessness. If you practice Sabbath or tried to practice Sabbath this week, did you experience a little angstiness of like actually stepping away? Like I found myself walking by my TV multiple times being like, well, what if I just watch this show? I'll just watch, you know, but I had to slow down and say, oh, wait, this is part of that pull for me again and again and again, back into a, a rhythm that is not what God wants for me. You might be saying, Jeremy, this whole sermon has been all bad news. This is terrible. This is, I'm never coming back here again. This is the worst church ever. But there's good news. There's a gospel. There's good news. That no matter how many times I expect us to be pulled back into the rhythms of culture, like we are not impervious to what goes on in our world and what pulls us in our social media feed or news feed. I expect that. But the good news is that Jesus knows that and comes after us again and again. And when we fail, he picks us up and starts us again. He's constantly pursuing us and inviting us back into the rhythms of rest. He says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That promise has been really important and good to me lately. You will find rest for your soul. I mean, that that phrase keeps coming back. Like, when I get the diagnosis I don't want, I will find rest for my soul. When I lose the job that I loved, I'll find rest for my soul. When the relationship fractures, even though I'm trying everything to keep it together, I can find rest for my soul. When the bank account runs dry and I don't know where the next check is going to come from, I can find rest for my soul. When I'm completely caught up in how people think of me or what power I have or how much money I have, I can find rest for my soul because Jesus is chasing me with it. And that is good news, friends. The question is, will we let him catch us? As you go this week, three things that we can do to like augment our Sabbath. One, on the day before a rest day, Get all the stuff done. It's called a preparation day. They did it in Hebrew culture. It was a rule for them. Let it be a fun thing for you. Like the day, the night before your Sabbath, like just get all your emails, power them out, get them sent out. Get your grocery shopping done. Get a few things this week. Try to not have to go anywhere. Get to go somewhere on your Sabbath this week. Two, prepare your hearts for the external resistance. Like as you plan, maybe your social obligations, try to plan them around a Sabbath moment or time. As you think about your um, social media feed, maybe plan to turn it off during your space of rest. Whatever it needs to be for you. And then three, prepare for internal resistance. Like it, it, it might feel awkward or it might be challenging. Lean into it. Ask yourself, ah, what is that feeling and what's under that feeling? 
what attachment is pulling me in the wrong way versus my attachment to God that God is wanting to secure and build stronger. And remember this, the Sabbath is a reminder every week that you aren't a slave to anything, you're free. That Jesus gives us true freedom and invites us to live with the rhythms of his grace, with a yoke that's easy and a burden that's light. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for all the good things you give us, for our jobs, the work that is in those jobs, the people we work with. We thank you for the people we're in community with, for our family. We thank you for the opportunities you give us in school and all of the things in our life that can be obligations. We pray that you would put them all second. Create space in us, quiet, so that in all the craziness, we can remember whose we are and who we are. We pray that you would give us true rest so that the world might know that you are good and loving and kind and so that we would experience that kindness on a daily basis. We trust you for the rhythms of grace. And we thank you for promising to always be with us. In Jesus' name.